verse number 33 and 34 here. Really, 34 we're going to focus on. And we're going to finish up with the sluggard here this week. I, I'm not sure where I'm going to go next week yet. I haven't decided yet. The Lord will show me. I was thinking about, I was thinking about starting, because uh, we're doing the characters in Proverbs, and I was thinking about starting the, a series on the virtuous woman. Uh, that Proverbs 31 woman and, and uh, uh, you know, kind of going through that and, and working our way through that. That will take a while to get through because there's a lot there and we can learn from that. But these are important characters in Proverbs. These are important principles of life that we're learning both both for our, our lives in general, how we, how we deal with one another and, and how we deal in the world, but also our spiritual walk and spiritually applying these things. Uh, to our lives, and, and I, I trust you've learned some things as we go through here, and God's used it to sharpen some things up in your life and to get you to think about things. That's really what preaching does. It hits the heart, and it, it hits the mind first, and then it hits the heart, and it teaches us to think. It teaches us to reflect. God's Word teaches us to, when it is preached and expounded to us, it teaches us where we're wrong, <laughs> and it encourages us where we're right. Right? To continue on and to be faithful. And that's important too. Because everybody needs encouragement. I don't care who you are. Everyone needs to be encouraged. There's times when you're beat down and you just need somebody to encourage you. And uh, so there should be a mixture of that. When you come to church, there should be a mixture of, of uh, that we edify one another and we build each other up in our most holy faith. We encourage, we're rebuked also, and we learn. But, but we look at it as a way of learning together. Not... not one person better than the other or anything like that, but it's, it's we learn these lessons and we grow together. We figure out where we're wrong about things and we get things right. That's the Christian life. You are always going to do that till you die. God is going to show you and I things that we've done wrong, that we've not done right. And if you're not stubborn and proud, you don't say, well, I've been doing this for a long time. Well, that doesn't mean it's right. If I've been doing something wrong a long time, it, then I need to get right about it. Doesn't matter how long. It's like Roman Catholicism. The older the heresy doesn't mean it's more right right? It means it's wrong. It's an old wrong. It's even worse, right? You've been holding on to that ancient old dried up thing for a long time. You better throw it away, right? So there's times that we have to get right about things. That should be a blessing to you. That means God's spirit is speaking to your heart. You're not dead. You're alive and God's showing you you're wrong and you need to get right. That is not a bad thing. That is a wonderful thing. It is a wonderful thing for God's word to to reprove us and rebuke us and to teach us where we're wrong if you ever look at that as a bad thing it's because you have a hard heart if we're wrong about something and god's word rebukes us we should rejoice thank god why it means you're alive you ain't dead right you're not dead you're alive and god's showing you this is how to live my way this is how to do better this is how to follow me and to do right that should encourage you there's no discouragement in that. It's actually encouraging when it comes to that. What's discouraging is if you hold on to your wrong, what you're wrong about and you don't want to get right. That'll discourage you. But to get right shouldn't discourage you. You know, we go through the initial sorrow of being wrong and dealing with that, but in essence, we, we learn that to thank God for rebuking us and reproving us. Because God loves you so much, He don't want to leave you wrong. Do you understand that? God loves you so much that he doesn't want to leave you being wrong. That's good parenting, isn't it? When, you, when God sees something is wrong with us, he parents us and he teaches us. Your parents are the same way, Lord willing, that when we see things wrong with our children, we don't just overlook them, but we teach them. Why? Well, because we want them to be right. We don't want them to be wrong. We don't want them to suffer because we didn't warn them. Amen. 
Proverbs 24, 33, yet, yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall thy poverty come as one that travaileth. Traveleth, excuse me, it's not travaileth, it's traveleth. I always get that word wrong. And thy want as an armed man. Because that word means something, that traveleth, it means there's a context to it that's important. It's not travail, it's travel. And it traveleth. And it's important to understand that word uh, because he is speaking of, of something very specific here about the armed man. Thy want as an armed man. He says, so shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth and thy want as an armed man. It's a very interesting phrase the way that he puts that. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for all that you do for us. We pray you bless us now. Guide us in your word. Teach us, correct us, Lord. Instruct us in righteousness. Lord, thy word is truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The issue that we see here of the poverty that comes on one, the, the, the destruction that comes on one, the slothfulness, it brings one to poverty. Turn to Proverbs chapter 19. This is both spiritual poverty, poverty as well as physical, as well as, as the maintenance of your life as well. It's both. Proverbs 19, 15. Slothfulness casteth into a deep sleep, and an idle soul shall suffer hunger. The Bible says if you and I don't work, then we shouldn't eat. You know, the Bible, God's word never despises the poor. I want you to remember that. God's word never teaches us or does despise the poor. But God's word does despise the lazy. See the difference? If you work hard and you're poor and you never, you never have an abundance of, of, of things of that nature in this life, God does not despise you and you should not despise those that don't. You should love them, care for them, and ease their burden if you can. If God so allows you to do, you should never despise anyone because they're poor. However, you and I, the difference is we don't, we do despise, and the Bible teaches us to think very little in that sense of those that are sluggards that will not do. You see the difference? Just because a man is poor doesn't mean he's lazy. That doesn't mean that at all. But if someone is lazy, they can be very poor. They can, and that's their own fault in that sense if they will not work hard, okay? Sometimes men work hard and they still don't have anything. God doesn't fault them for that. God doesn't look down on them and, and you don't either. So be clear. It's the character that God looks at. Is If someone is just a sluggard and they won't do anything, they sit around and they won't do anything and they're very lazy, then God says that's a character trait that is wrong and sinful and it must be preached against, it must be warned against, right? That's why he says if a man doesn't work, then he shouldn't eat, right? What, that's, what the Bible is saying, it's, not, it's promoting uh, uh, diligence, not laziness. You and I have no right to be lazy in anything we do. Spiritually speaking, we have no right to be lazy. In fact, we are command, commanded not to be. There are people that I have noticed, spiritually speaking, that they are sluggards and they complain about not being fed. They'll say, well, I, I go to church, I go this, and I'm just not being fed. Well, you gotta pick up the utensils and eat, right? You mean you're not being fed what you want, right? You're not being fed what you want? Because when this word of God is opened, 
whether you agree or disagree with what's preached, you're being fed. Because if it's not correct or something's not right or, or you don't see it that way, you're still being fed to analyze that and to, and to, and to think on that. And God is teaching you something through, through either way. So when you have people that say that, usually it's lazy people that say that. Lazy Christians. Well, I'm not being fed. It's because they're lazy. They're just sluggards. They're spiritual sluggards. They don't, they, they don't want to eat what's put in front of them. And they don't want to lift up their hand to do it. The Bible says the idle mouth. Or one says, excuse me, that's not the Bible, but the idle mouth is full of heartless complaints. Always complaining. Why? They're idle. They have nothing to do. Idle men are the most dangerous men you'll ever be around. I know that from experience. They are the most dangerous men that you will ever be around. When they don't have anything to do, they got time to cause a lot of trouble. Sometimes when you and I get in trouble in life, it's because we're just not busy. We got too much time to sit around and we start thinking. And most of the time, it ain't good. Most of the time, it's thinking complaints. And we're ready, to, we're ready to point a finger at our brethren. We're ready to point a finger at our sister in Christ. We're, we're ready to find fault with somebody. Instead of getting busy and doing something. Right? Because it's like, uh, the devil uses that. He uses that. And, and so idle people like that, they, 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 the Bible says they're going to be hungry. Spiritually speaking, they're going to be hungry. They don't want to read their Bible. They don't want to pray. They don't want to, they don't want to read good books. They don't, want to, they don't want to educate their mind. Listen, the worst thing you can do is have an idle mind. Not to read. Not to read the scriptures, number one. Not to read good books, number two. Keep your mind active. It's dangerous that you let your mind just go on autopilot. No, we are to focus our minds. If you have time to waste in complaining and arguing and doing that, you have time to read and be productive and grow and nurture your mind and heart. And you should use it. People, they, they tend to... By the way, if you don't use the faculties and the blessings that God has given, you'll lose them. There's people that never read anything at all. They won't read. And because they don't in that sense, they lose their ability to think clearly. So I, it's important that, you know what? I don't have a college degree, and I thank God for that, by the way, because um, they didn't sucker me out of that kind of money. But, uh, uh, <laughs> amen. <laughs> Woo. Right? Yeah, sorry, brother. But, 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 but in essence, right, or a Bible degree, they call it, right? Yeah. Whatever that means, a Bible degree. But I, but I, have, I have studied and read after and learned and grown and nurtured my mind more than most of those men ever did that went there. Amen. Honestly. Right? And I, and I think that's an example that most of the men here have, to be honest with you. Most of the men that read and study and everything else, they learn things. You ought to be learning.
keep your mind learning good things and, and continue to do that. It's good for you. Don't let, you know what? Man, I'll tell you what, you know, destroy your life is to become idle like that. Don't do that, both spiritually and both physically in your life. Some of the worst times that anybody's ever had is because they just don't get up and get something done. When, you're, when your brains are ready to melt and you got all this uh, stuff going on in your mind and it's all fishy and you're all like got a bunch of angst and everything, get up and do something. Whether it's reading or study, put your mind, get up and work, do something. Don't sit around and destroy everything around you. People do it. They become sluggards and they become lazy like that and they destroy their lives. I mean it. I've, I've watched it. It happens. Proverbs chapter 20, verse number 4. The sluggard will not plow by reason of the cold, therefore shall he beg and harvest and have nothing. Poverty comes upon the sluggard like an armed robber. Comes up slowly. They don't know it, but they end up looking around and because they've been either spiritually lazy or they won't work physically or whatever the case may be, when they're able to, they won't do anything. They're lazy. They become sluggards. Then guess what? That poverty sneaks up on them and they're, and they're in trouble. They're, they're in trouble. Here's the thing. The principle that you and I ought to have with everything. You help anybody that is willing to work hard and to do it. Now, I'll feed anybody. I don't care if it's my worst enemy. It'd be hard, but I'd feed them. I got a few of them out there. I'd, I'd feed them. <laughs> Might feed him the worst meal I could, but I'd still feed him. <laughs> but I, I'd give him food. <laughs> but uh, anyway, might give him some X-Lax with it, but I'd give him some food. No, I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. But I would feed. I, I don't care who it is. I mean, I, I don't. I would never let anybody starve in front of me, right? I, I wouldn't do that. I just, I just, I couldn't. It, not be right with God, even your worst enemy. You can't do that, right? So, but lazy people that don't want to do anything, they have to be taught that that's not that you can't continue that behavior. So you teach your children that too. That you know what? You don't get to be lazy. You got to be up and do stuff. You got to be up and be active and work and take care of the things that God has given you and don't be lazy, right? Because remember, they're going to go out in the world and they're going to marry somebody. They're going to be a wife. They're going to be a husband. They're going to be something and they can't be lazy, right? Because the bills are due, right? <laughs> they never stop coming, do they, Garrick? <laughs> they just keep on coming. <laughs> but guess what also comes if you don't work? Poverty is an armed man. It sticks you up and takes everything you got. Steals your zeal, steals your drive. Spiritually, steals your zeal and your drive and everything else. Right? If you don't work like that, that, that laziness begets more. It just, uh, you, you got to break that cycle. And it's important that, that, that God's people understand that. You know, that, that we can't ever, don't fall for that. Don't let yourself be in that. Uh, verse number 13 of the same chapter says, uh, love not sleep, lest thou come to poverty. Open thine eyes, and thou shalt be satisfied with bread. Now let's talk about that spiritually. Here's the bread of life, right? It says, love not sleep, lest thou come to poverty. Open thine eyes, 
Thou shalt be satisfied with bread. That's right here. That's God's word. You're to open it up. You're to read it. It ain't going to do you no good just sitting there. You know, we live in a country where probably the average house could have like 10 Bibles in it, right? You live in liberty where no one right now is sticking a gun to your head or coming in and burning your Bibles. But I wonder if you and I treasure the scriptures as much as those, those Waldensians did as they were baking it into bread and hiding it and they were, they were, they were preserving the words of God. Right? Or the Chinese over there who, you know, I've seen a video before of those Chinese people getting Bibles, right? You ever seen that video with the boxes? They're opening those boxes up and they're ripping them open. They're handing them out. Those people are like going after it like it's like literally like they're starving because they are. And shame on us if we don't have a hunger and thirst after righteousness, right? And if we don't desire that, if we become lazy, and we don't open our eyes to the Word of God. Some people are like, well, I don't get answers from God, or I'm, I'm struggling this, I'm going through this. Well, it's because you're not looking for them. You don't go to get them. you got to go to the Word of God and get them. God's not going to come down and whisper in your ear. What you do is you pray and you ask God, Lord, please show me in your Word what you want me to do. I have a question for you. Do you believe God will do that? Amen. Do you believe that God will show you exactly what your situation... Man, I, I not only believe it with everything because his word said he would, I've lived it. And so have you. You've seen God do that. I've experienced God doing that. Like, there's no way I would have been able to figure this out. Like, I, I didn't even think I thought I was going to lose my mind. But God showed me, no, it's right here. You ain't lost your mind. It's right here. That's right, it may. There's a, you told me about something that, you, that you'd look for an answer for for 20 years. All of a sudden, you're reading your Bible, and there it came. Yeah, exactly. Amen. But you know what? God feeds his own children if they want it. I mean... He ain't like Ron DeSantis. He ain't going to waterboard you and open your mouth and shove at the border, or I mean at, at Guantanamo Bay. He's not going to shove the food down your throat and hold you open and, and like beat you until you eat, right? He, he ain't going to do that. He ain't going to do like your Republican saviors do. He ain't going to do that. All right. Jesuit coadjutor, working for the Pope, got his Jesuit degree. Huh? Come on, quit destroying Shattered Dreams Ministries. Already setting you up for the 2024 election. There ain't no hope with all those dopes. They're all on the same team. What's that? That sounds great. There ain't no hope. They're all dopes. I don't trust any of them. I know what spirit they have. Yep, they're here to help. The one that traveleth is the one who roams about with no settled job. The drifter and the armed man is the armed robber. Thus the sluggard's poverty comes unexpectedly as when a traveler arrives unannounced and it comes with an irresistible force as when one is robbed by an armed robbery. That's how it happens. It comes upon you suddenly in that sense. 
The issue of it will certainly be the ruin of the soul and all its welfare, says one. It is an everlasting want that thus comes upon it as an armed man. This is the place, we know the place that is assigned to the wicked and the slothful servant of the scriptures. The man who neglects his estate is really steadily ruining himself. He may not see it until it's too late. Poverty has been traveling toward him, but only at the last bend of the road does it come in sight. Once suddenly appears as an armed man, strong, irresistible. There is no way of escape. Morally bankrupt. The soul that is neglected is being, in, is being ruined. Day by day it is being enfeebled, enslaved, deteriorated. The good that was there is lessening and disappearing. The hard crust of selfishness and worldliness is thickening. Don't neglect your soul. Don't neglect soul work. Don't neglect the feeding and the, the hungering and thirsting after righteousness of your soul. Don't neglect God's word in your spiritual life for anything in this world. Nothing in this world is worth neglecting that over. The ruin of a man who neglects his farm or merchandise is gradual and irresistible. His circumstances become more and more embarrassed, and at last he is apprehended for debt and reduced to utter poverty and want. And what a picture does this exhibit of a man who neglects his soul. He does not feel the consequences all at once, but his poverty comes as one that traveleth. It proceeds gradually, step by step. It is not one hour or day that makes a very great difference to a man that is traveling many hundred miles on foot, but every step in reality brings him nearer to his journey's end. And so it is with the man that indulges spiritual sloth. His ruin approaches. You have to constantly be working on your spiritual life. Feeding, nurturing, walking in the spirit. It means that you have to be proactive with it. You cannot just think that spiritually you're going to grow uh, in the Lord when you neglect those things for growth. You know, we sing a simple song to the children. Read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. You remember that song? Neglect your Bible and forget to pray, and you'll shrink, right? It's a simple song, isn't it? Would to God that we all understood that great truth, because following that simple song right there, that simple principle that's from the Word of God, by the way, following that simple principle will help you to walk with God. It'll help strengthen your life. Neglecting of soul is a terrible thing. Neglecting of your spiritual walk is a terrible thing. Becoming a slugger, putting off the things of the, of the scriptures and putting off the reading and the meditating and the studying and applying those biblical principles that you know are right to your life. Neglecting those things and putting those things off is detrimental to your spiritual life. And you and I as men, we are leaders. We have the bulk of the responsibility in our home as leading, and we should lead by example. Our children should know we're in the scriptures. Our children should know we pray. And they should know that we pray for them. I don't mean you have to walk up and tell them every day or make some grand announcement to them. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about they should know that, you're, that, you, that you pray. They should know that you read your Bible. They should know that you're serious about God that you're serious about their walk with God, that you love them and you care for them and you want to nurture them and guide them in the scriptures. They need to know that. Your wife needs to know that. 
Your wife needs to know that you walk with God. By the way, here's another thing. Your wife needs to be checked up on too. Spiritually. Yeah. You need to ask her. You been in your Bible? Amen. Do you do that? Do you ask your wife? Well, that's a very loving and kind thing to do. That's not, that's not wrong. That's not being, that's leadership. That's, that's being a leader. That's being a loving husband to say, have you been in your Bible? Have you been, have you been praying? Have you been in the scriptures? It's not accusatory. It doesn't need to be. If you have the wrong spirit about it, then maybe you need to change your spirit while you talk to your wife. By the way, you know what, you know what is a very terrible thing for a man to do? And if you're doing it now, get it out of your life. Don't talk down to your wife. Don't talk down to her. You shouldn't talk down to anybody, to be honest with you. But don't talk down to your wife. That's not appropriate behavior at all. It's actually inappropriate. It's absolutely inappropriate to, te to treat her like that. Amen. I mean it. I'm dead serious. As a leader, as a husband, there's nothing worse than to see a professing Christian to talk to his wife like that. The world, they do whatever, right? But we are not to do that. We don't treat, we don't treat our spouses with less than respect. That's not loving yourself, is it? You're to love, love your wife as your own body. That's right. Amen. You're to love your wife as your own body. So you think about that for a second now. Man, <laughs> I can easily treat myself and give myself whatever I want. Like, it's not hard for me to do that. Do I have that same thought towards my wife? Mm. It's a good question, isn't it? Do I penny pinch when it comes to what I would do for my wife, but I'm very extravagant with what I do for myself? Huh. Well, that's kind of a good question to ask all of us, isn't it? <laughs> it it's kind of convicting to me. Not kind of, it just is. A amen. I, I'm, not, I, I, I'm being serious here. Because you know what I preach about about. Uh, wives being subject to their husbands and submitted and living for God and loving and, and being submissive and, and not being, you know, like a Jezebel or that. But at the same token, you're not to be a stinking barbarian either. Right. You're not to act like, you're not to act like a, a tool. <laughs> Amen? It's like, well, I'll give you an example. Like, we could probably buy a $200 tool, like, real easy. But what if she wanted that $200 blender? Would you try to find her one for five bucks that was half broke? I'm, I'm, just, I'm just curious. I'm, right? Am I making sense to you? Am I, am I, 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 think about it. I, I'm just saying I'd be willing to do it for me. Now, here's the thing. Your wife is not going to say that to you. More than likely. Depends on how long you've been married, she might. But, <laughs> but, but honestly, she's not going to say that. That's where you, as a husband, you, don't, you just don't act that way. You're like, okay, well, I'll just get you this. 
Like you don't even, you don't give her that option to do that. You're just like, well, I'll get you a nice one. Which one do you like? Instead of like, well, I'll give you the leftovers I found somewhere that's half broken and well, you didn't do that when you bought that nice Milwaukee drill, did you? She ain't gonna say that. I'm saying that to you because I know what I know what those things cost because I got one. <laughs> I got two of them. <laughs> yeah, amen. That's right. We're good too. <laughs> But seriously, though, we have to, th you know, it, it's something to think about. It's not like, oh, I have to do even for even. It's just, it's, it's respect. I, I just think it is. It's res it goes a long way when things, when struggles happen in a marriage and things like that, where it's like, they don't feel like they're being neglected. Even if they would never say that because they're very content, which I think they are. But it's just... I don't know that I'm content with being okay with that when I'm, if I, if I don't do that for myself. I have, it's, it's kind of like, well, that says, you love your wife as yourself. I mean, <laughs> I mean, amen. Something to think about. Okay, I know that has nothing to do with it. I don't know how I got on that, but you wives can send a secret offering in later for that, but uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll work on that later. But, uh, no problem. I got your back, okay? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Because <laughs> I want more Milwaukee tools. But uh, anyway, <laughs> I like them. They're very nice. But, uh, and Harbor Freight, too, for, for Garrick. He liked it. <laughs> anyway, on a serious note, though, but think about that, okay? It's, it's love. It's respect. It's, it's important that we have that one for another. It's very important the way we treat each other, the way we talk to each other, in that sense, all right? I don't know how I got on that, but anyway, I'll keep going. Um, you and I have to understand that those things come upon us, that poverty and those things come upon us, they come upon us very quickly. Spiritual poverty comes upon us very quickly, like an armed man. If we, if we kind of don't pay attention to our walk with God, if we're not sincere in our, in our walk with God, if we're not uh, you know, reading our Bibles and praying and seeking God's face the way that we should, we get very cold. We get lazy. Oh, I put it off. I don't have to do it. We can get cold. Lazy. And that can lead to spiritual poverty. It's a weakness. And you get weak like that, and you can give in to sin. This book strengthens you. It keeps you from evil. God uses things to keep us from evil. He uses things to keep... You, God just doesn't out of nowhere just say, okay, I'm going to give you this unlimited power to keep you from evil. No, he does give us power, but he says, here's my prescribed way. What's that mean? So you don't get to be lazy. You don't get to walk through this Christian life a lazy sluggard or a slob, spiritually, and walk through there and expect that God's going to keep you from all these things. No, God is going to keep you when you follow his way. I'm not talking about your eternal life. I'm talking about your walk with God here. I'm talking about your sanctification. God will keep your soul. But your walk with him on this earth, your due diligence matters to him. God cares about your walk. He's not going to take your soul away. He's not going to, he's not, you're not going to be lost if you, do, if you don't do that. But you're going to be in poverty here spiritually. 
You have to ask yourself, why should I, does God want his children to live in spiritual poverty? It's not what God wants for you. You know, it's interesting to me, this uh, man made a comment on Proverbs 20, verse 13. He said, a man, he said that the difference in him rising at 5 a.m. and 7 a.m. was literally 10 more years of living onto his life. That's a principle of, you know, we all need sleep. And, uh, but, but he said that he was giving an example of the fact that that two hours extra, he calculated that, that, that he could do things or whatever, that he, and, and it, it proved to be more profitable for him in life. By the way, that doesn't have to be working for the man. That could be working in the book. You get that, right? Like, I'm not telling you to go out and give every waking hour you have to a job. You work hard, you, you have good character, and you do what's right. That's what's expected of you. But what I am saying is, is that what about two hours for the Lord or an hour for the Lord or, half, you know, whatever it is? What about for the Lord? Is God worth waking up a half an hour early to spend more time with him? Right? Again, everybody's situation is different, so I'm not giving you a blanket of that everybody has to follow this. What I'm saying is that, is it worth it, though? I mean, a half an hour more with God for the rest, for 10 more years or 20 more years or 30 more years of your life? That's a lot of time, isn't it? Amen. You and I can get a lot done for the Lord. And I mean to tell you, I want us in this church to spend our days serving the Lord. That's, that's what I want. I know that we have a short time a short time while we're here, and we have a lot of young people uh, to, to raise and to train, and we are laying the groundwork for us being gone. So it's worth me getting up earlier for. It's worth me doing a little more for. It's worth sacrifice. It's worth us being diligent for, because they're worth it. We have a duty. God is worth it. He is worthy. And we're going to give it to the God. That's what I say. Give it to the Lord. The world gets enough of us. Let God have us, amen? Let God have more of us. You know, to be productive, that's important. Productive spiritually, God wants you to be. I think I, in order for you and I to walk with God effectively, we need to be in the scriptures and we need to be growing and we need to be praying and we need to be meditating on God's word and working on things scripturally and spiritually that's going to help us and help the next generation. You'll be shocked to see what God will use this little church for if all of God's people would be sold out to him and surrendered to him. You, you, there's no limit to what God can do, right? In, in sincerity, and we thank God for that. This warning is true in physical life as well as in spiritual. The individual who is not willing to work hard and plan ahead and stay on top of his obligations, work hard at his job, pay, pay their bills, keep things properly maintained, they'll become poor as well. I mean, spiritually, we teach our children, you, you work. How did you men all do it? You went to work. The greatest way you teach your children to go to work is you went to work. Guarantee you, Garrick has a job because his dad went to work. <laughs> right? I have a job because my dad went to work every day. I mean, I, I, I know it's not like everybody else's in the ministry, but I watched my dad get up every day. I mean, before I got up at 4 o'clock in the morning, and he was gone. What did that do? It impacted you. Andrew, your children watch you go to work. Lee, your children watch you go to work. They, they, they know that, right? Uh, mothers, uh, your daughters watch you go to work. I don't think that we work in the world harder than our wives work at home. I don't think that. I, I don't, and I'm not saying that uh, 
in a negative way, I mean that wholeheartedly. They have a multiplicity of duties that come their way and things is like that God has fit them for in their field of service, right? And they work like they never stop working. They just don't really. If you're a mother that honors God, then you are working hard and you are working long and your whole life is that of work and different aspects of it. It's just amazing to me, to be honest with you. When I watch, when I watch what they did, I'm like, I can't do that. I'm like, I'm going to my office. <laughs> I'm getting out of here, man. <laughs> then Monday morning last week, I was like, I was looking around, I was like, oh boy. I'm like, I'm like, shut my computer, stuck it in my backpack, and got to walk it. I'm going down to my office. It's like, what? This is just Monday morning? I'm like, yep, I'm going down there. I can't do that. I wasn't built to do that. Amen. She is, though. Praise God. Amen. So women have to work hard. They have to teach your children to work hard. Amen. And they do. And it's a blessing to see. Amen. Hard work. We have to... Likewise, the individual who is not willing to work hard in serving Christ and in prayer and Bible study and church life and evangelism, they become spiritually poor and backslidden. If, he is, if you are saved but live a slothful spiritual life, you'll lose rewards. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And that's the whole thing. People act like, well... Oh, what are you saying? Somebody could do this and still be saved? Yeah, you'd be surprised what saved people do. I'm not kidding you. You'd be shocked what saved people do. You'd be shocked what all of us do in our mind and have to repent for. Isn't that right? Amen. I'm glad you don't see what's in my mind. Aren't you glad I don't see what's in yours? <laughs> Right? What God forgives you of when you have to repent and get right with God because you've not done right, not thought right. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse number 13, the Bible warns us, right, of the work that we do. Your work matters. Being slothful spiritually, it matters to God and it matters in eternity. It's not just here, it matters in eternity. What you do now. How you live your life now matters in eternity. Every man's work shall be made. Uh, verse number 12, uh, 1 Corinthians 3, 12 here. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest for the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built therein, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. Look at this. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Those are God's children. That's you standing before the judgment seat of Christ, being judged for your works. We are judged for our works. That's, it's exactly what you're judged for. You're judged, why? Because you came through Christ. And after Christ, you're judged for your works, what you do in your own body. 
you're judged for. So from the time that you've been saved and born again by the Spirit of God, you will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and you will be judged and given your rewards according to what you have done in your body. Now, I don't know about you, but that is frightening to me. That causes me to fear God and to give him, want to give Him glory with my life and not squander my life and waste it. Because real faith, what it does is it takes hold of that and says, you know what? Whew, I believe what God said in His Word. And I believe I'm going to stand before Him and I'm going to be judged for what I've done. And that just tells me, get to work. Amen. Get to work. He says, you ain't going to lose your soul. Look what he says. It'll be saved. Yet so as by fire, everything else is going to be burnt up. You don't want to live your life like that, do you? 2 Timothy chapter 4. Let's go there. This is a warning to pastors as well. Paul's dying manifesto here, right? In 1 Timothy chapter 4. Verse number 6. Actually, let's go back to verse number 5 because it's that good. But watch thou in all things. Watch. Be alert. Pay attention. Don't be a sluggard. Don't be sleeping. Watch thou in all things. Endure afflictions. That's the Christian life, right? Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of thy ministry. I remember the first time somebody asked me about that um, they, when I was going to go preach on the streets in, in uh, Michigan. He said to me, well, I said, well, you're not a professional, are you? They said, you're going to make full proof of your ministry, aren't you? So, well, now that you put it that way. <laughs> Do the work of an evangelist, right? Make full proof of thy ministry. For I am now ready to be offered and the time of my departure is at hand. He said, I have fought a good fight. Amen. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. I'll tell you, above almost anything else in this life, I want to be able to say that when I die. But I got to say that while I live. I got to live that now. But I want to be able to say that. I, 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 I pray to God that I, I can... That can be my sincere dying manifesto, right? Like Paul's was. That I can say that I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love is appearing. All of us, amen? It's not just the preacher or the pastor. It's all of us. All of us. That henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Don't you want it? Don't you want it? Don't you want to run, run that you may obtain? That's what he said. You run. I don't, I'm saved by grace. I realize that. And because I'm saved by grace, I'm his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. That means I need to run after him. I need to run after that crown. I need to run after, I need to desire that crown of righteousness. For being faithful, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. 
God's the righteous judge, not man. There may be all kinds of men that cursed your name when you served God the whole time you served him. They may have hated what you did. They may have hated your ministry. They may walk away. They may do all those other things. But God's the righteous judge. That's what he's saying here. Don't worry about them, son. You worry about me. You follow me. Look, Paul, Paul had a lot of people lying about him. Called him a false apostle. I've had him look at me and say, what? You call yourself a pastor. <laughs> they say it in that tone just like that, too. Like, okay. <laughs> right. Where's your degree? <laughs> oh, I just laugh. Okay. Where's your degree? I said I didn't go to the cemetery. Man, those people on that Steel County website, they lost their mind when I said that to them. He's crazy. He said he didn't go to the cemetery. I asked him where his degree was, and he said he didn't go to the cemetery. He's crazy. <laughs> ah, anyway, it was fun. I enjoyed it. Second John. Let's turn there. Second John in the scriptures. This is the Bible's warning against us being sluggards. Amen. That we work hard. Why? Because we're we're going to see Jesus. Amen. We're going to see Jesus. So why, why, why do I work hard? Because I'm going to see Jesus. That's why. Look at 2 John chapter 3. I'm just kidding. Uh, 2 John verse 8. I was going to see if you fell for it. But... <laughs> I seen a meme this week that said, uh, the preacher stood up and said, turn to Habakkuk chapter 3. And the guy's like, for pity's sake, would you give him five seconds to find it? <laughs> People don't know where Habakkuk is. They're looking around. Preacher's already reading the text before they get there. <laughs> anyway, verse number eight says, Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Man. So there's going to be some of us that don't receive a full reward. We'll have rewards, but not what we could have had. That's why it matters how we live. It mat our diligence matters. Our sanctification matters. Our walk with God matters. Our love for one another matters. Our service to the King matters. Everything that you've ever done in the name of the Lord Jesus to preach the gospel and to give tracts out and to pray for people and to witness to people and to produce things online and to, and, and to do all of it matters to God. All of it, all of it makes a difference. We don't want to lose our full reward, do we? Laziness brings ruin. Intellectual laziness brings intellectual ruin. Commercial brings commercial ruin. Spiritual brings spiritual ruin. If we're lazy in these things, we, we ruin ourselves. We bring ourselves to ruin. How glad would many be in their dying hours if a portion of the time which they had wasted would, could be restored to them. How glad would they be if they could recover the seasons they have lost. But death waits not their leisure. 
When sent, he executes his office and transmits them, however reluctant, to the tribunal of their judge, so that we would endeavor to realize these reflections in our mind, that we may not learn the truth and awfulness of them by bitter experience. Swiftly and irresistibly, says one, calls sloth the nursery of beggary, the mother of misery. The slothful man's way, the scriptures say, is a hedge of thorns. The Bible says that there's frustration that comes along with being a sluggard. Proverbs, turn to Proverbs 15, 19. You get frustrated. A lot of frustration in your life when you don't take care of things that you should. We all know that by experience, right? We let things grow. We let things fester. We let bad things happen. We don't deal with them. And what happens? Man, things get worse. Proverbs 15, 19. The way of the slothful man is as a hedge of thorns, but the way of the righteous is made plain. The slothful man's way is a hedge of thorns. Notice he does not say that the way of the diligent is made plain. It is not merely uh, activity, but it is righteousness with activity that is blessed. It's not just keeping busy. It's keeping busy in the right things. God just does it. There's people out there that are diligent to work and make a ton of money, but they neglect their spiritual walk. They neglect their soul. They neglect their Bible. They neglect prayer. They ne neglect leading their families. God's not blessing that in that sense. He says that diligence, the righteous man, he says, the one that is doing God's will. But the way of the righteous is made plain. You know, we have a lot of confusion, people that don't follow God. They're very dark and confused people. They become very tangled and confused. We're to be fervent in spirit serving the Lord. Passionate, fervent. When you and I go out and preach the Bible to, the, to lost sinners on the streets, it's to be with fervency, spiritual passion. It's like I had somebody say the other day on one of my, look, I like all the information you're giving, but you just got to quit yelling. <laughs> Why, just because you're dead don't mean I am. And all you deadheads, I got to preach loud to wake the dead. You're all sleeping. Right? They're all sleeping, so what do we do? We get loud. That's why it takes a loud voice to wake them out of the dead, don't it? He said, lift up your voice like a trumpet, not play with a kazoo. Right? What's that? Yeah, get the shofar out, that's right. By the way, doing nothing will wear you out. I'll tell you what, you know, where's a guy out if he's working? He ain't got nothing to do when he's working. That will make you tired. You go to sleep. You go to show up to work and there ain't nothing to do. You, sit, you try to make yourself busy because it's like, okay, I got to do something, man. I can't sit here. I'll go nuts. Right? Because you don't have anything to do. You're like, they don't have any jobs for you to do or something. It's like, I can't sit around. Make me more tired. If you get, five, most people uh, sit on the couch. You're like, oh, I'm tired. I'm tired. I'm tired. Well, get up and do something. You won't be tired. You might as well be tired doing something than tired sitting down, right? Because tired sitting down, you're going to get nothing accomplished. Tired getting up and doing something, you'll get more accomplished, right? The most tiring times you have at work is when there, there's nothing to do. It makes you more tired. 
it wears you out. Working hard in the Lord will give you strength. Idle men die of boredom. I ain't never bored in the ministry. The pastor tells you he's bored. He ain't never been out in the streets. <laughs> he never preached to sinners out in the streets then. Because you go out and preach to sinners on the streets, you can't be bored. I'm not bored when I just preach this book because I got so many uh, uh, of Satan's enemies after me when I'm, when I'm preaching the word and studying and praying. I'm never bored. I never have time to be bored. I don't know how people have time to be bored. Spurgeon preached a sermon on this hedge of thorns to, to his people. He said this, True religion seeks to honor God in all the transactions of life. This cannot be done by idling, by postponement, and by allowing work to run behind. No slut can be a saint. No sluggard can glorify God. Life grows hard and unenviable to men who try to make it easy. A man who neglects his duty, whether he be a carpenter, a bricklayer, a clerk, or a minister, will find his way increase in difficulty until it becomes almost impassable. Before long, the sluggard's course becomes a very painful way, for a way of thorns tears a man's garments and wounds his flesh. And you cannot be neglectful of the ordinary duties of life without, by and by, suffering for it. Loss of character, loss of position, and actual want all come from idleness. You know, what he's saying is that he, there ain't, there's no way to serve God and make it easy. Like, you get that, right? There's no, like, we can't go out on the street and be like, Let's find a way to make this easy. It doesn't work that way. We can make it simple, right? right. Simple is not the same as easy. We make it simple. We know what our duty is, and we know what they're going to do. <laughs> and we know how they're going to respond to it pretty much for the most part, right? So we keep it what? Simple. But we can't make it easy. If you try to make it easy like that, like without any problems, yeah, right. You'll make it worse. It doesn't work that way. The sluggard is also frustrating to others. Proverbs 10, 26 is vinegar to the teeth and is smoke to the eyes. So is the sluggard to them that send him. By the way, that's the slothful messenger who, sent, who is being sent on an errand dilly-dallies. He doesn't make haste to bring back the answer, which is very vexating to those that send him, raises their passions and makes them fretful and very angry because he's slothful and unprofitable. So slothful and unprofitable servants to whom talents are given for usefulness, which they hide or use not, are very provoking to Christ. Those who have gifts for sacred service ought not to be slothful in business, but fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. You ought not be slothful, right? By the way, we're, we're, when we're out on the street and we're preaching the gospel to these people, you know what, you know what these, a lot of these preachers are doing out there in these churches? They're slothful. They don't deliver a faithful message to them. They're slothful servants. They, they, they say that they've been sent to send a message, but they don't, send the, they don't send the message. They're not giving them the message. They're lying to them. They're, they're wicked and unprofitable servants. They're, they're wicked and unprofitable messengers. They're slothful messengers. We, we try to be true messengers. We try to give them the truth and what they need to hear. We try to help them to understand what God expects from them. Those that are guilty of so great an oversight as to entrust such a man with any affair and put confidence in them will certainly have that vexation with them. A slothful servant to his master as uneasy and troublesome as vinegar to the teeth 
and smoke to the eyes. He provokes his passion as vinegar sets the teeth on edge and occasions him grief to see his business neglected. You think God doesn't look down and see that these men aren't being faithful to him? I mean, those that have professed Christ and they say that they're, they're God's messenger and they don't give God's message. Do they hold back the truth? Here's a good question. Think about this as the preachers of righteousness, be it pastors or men that have been given the charge of the gospel, which is all of you, by the way. Do they dilly-dally with the message of the gospel or preaching the whole counsel of God? Do they hold back the truth and all that is profitable and unprofitable as an unprofitable servant? Do they hide their talents? Do they hide the great treasure in the field of the gospel? Are they lazy messengers? Are they idle shepherds? Do we not have a nation full of lazy messengers today that will not deliver? Do they not hold back the truth? Are we slothful servants of our Lord? Do we hold back that which we are to give? Do we speak with urgency and deliver the message rightly? Do we, do we when we go out there, do we speak with urgency, believing that these people are on their way to hell, that they are dying and going to hell? Understanding that, they, that any moment now, life could go from them and they could be in a sinner's hell in moments that they're teetering on the edge of absolute destruction and despair. So then we speak with great plainness of speech to them, warning them that they are dying and going to hell. You're a dying man. When I see those 80-year-old men and women and they buck us and they, and they mock us, I look at them and Paul says the same thing. We look and say, look, you ain't getting no younger. And they think that's a slight to them. No, it's grace. We are warning them. Buddy, you got one foot in hell right now. You better listen and repent. Like I told that lady that some pastor said, well, you weren't very nice to that lady that tricked her two sons out and turned them into homos and was going into the, was going into the, uh, the tranny event and leading other, other people and children, everybody else in there. You weren't, very, you weren't very nice to her. You should have let her speak. Why? I didn't need preach to. I've already had somebody try to preach the gay gospel to me. He even said his Bible was bigger than mine. Right? That's right. He got it at Northwestern Bookstore. Right? I already had the gay gospel preached to me. I don't need to preach to me again. He said he was yeah. He did say he was recruiting, didn't he? He did. Remember Lucius? I said, stay away from my son. He's down there. He said, I'm here to recruit little boys. I'm like, I believe you. Like, I, I believe you. Like, I've been... See, so it's not new. We've been saying that for years, haven't we? We've been warning him for years. But I looked at that, that, that lady and I said, lady, you're going to die. You're going to die go to hell. You better listen to what I have to say. I don't need to hear what she has to say. She's walking into a tranny uh, event where dudes are dressed in drag with fake breasts showing, twerking for little kids. Just like they were in the park. And they tried to hide it from us over there in the, in the corner. 
and we took our banners and I go, I, I told Paul, we're going right up in the middle of that thing. If they're going to try to hide that from us and keep that, we're going. They go, you can't come here. I go, oh, yes, I can. And I'm going. We are going straight up in the middle of that thing. Yeah, and what, what happened when we walk up to the front row? They got little kids sitting up on their shoulders, sitting them up there on the front row. And you want me to shut up? You want me to be quiet? You want us to shut up? You want us to back off? You want us to, to calm down? You want us to tone it down a little bit? Ain't happening. I'm not a sluggard. We were sent to give a message. And we will give it until we die. By God's grace. And we gave it to him. And we ain't done giving it to him either. We're going back there. Because if they're bold enough to do that to little kids on a front row, in Steele County, and name the name of Christ while they're doing it, we're just bold enough to go back in there and make sure that the world knows this is what they, this is Antichrist, and we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the difference. We can't be sluggards. We can't be idle. There's too much at stake. The Bible says now is the time of Christ's great harvest in all the nations of the earth, right? Marked, uh, Matthew chapter 9. God warns us that the, the harvest is plenteous, right? It's there. The labors are few. Each believer has been called to be a minister in this harvest. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we got to get done here. Well, we don't have to, but we will. That's the wonderful thing. I came here to be here. Amen. I didn't come to leave. I thank God the world gets everything. They get everything of us all week long, don't they? They get everything. They take everything, right? 2 Corinthians 5. 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. That's all of us, friend. We're ministers of reconciliation. You're all ministers. We just have different stations, right? Different places that God's put us. But we're all ministers. We're all servants. We're all ministers of, of righteousness, or we ought to be. Amen. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. We can't be sluggards. We can't be lazy. There's too much at stake. It's dangerous. It's a great evil to be a sluggard. It's a great evil to spiritually be a sluggard. Sluggardism is painful. It's evil. He also that is slothful in his work is brother to him that is a great waster. Don't waste the talents God has given you. Don't waste the gifts and the opportunity and the life that God has given you. Don't waste it. Don't squander what God has given you. It's short. It's but for a moment. We don't have time to fret. We don't have time to fuss. We have time to work. We are workmen that need not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That's what we're to be workmen and women. We are to work. 
for the night is coming. Amen. It's coming. Darkness is falling. We're seeing it. Apostasy is rising. You and I have much work to do. Amen. Amen. Father, Lord, thank you. Thank you for your words. Thank you for the truth of them. Thank you for eternal life in Christ Jesus the Lord. Thank you for saving my soul and making it useful to your kingdom. And Father, thank you for saving these that are here. And Lord, if there be lost ones here that have never repented and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone, may they fall on their face in repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Be gloriously saved and have a life lived for you in service to the King. There's no greater service, Lord, than to serve you. We praise your name, Jesus. We thank you, Father in heaven, and for the Holy Ghost of God who fills our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.